the staff where we talk about our point of view And we share the things we're gonna do And we hope you're learning something new Cause the path to mastering theory begins with you Welcome to Notes from the Staff, a podcast from the creators of U-Theory, where we dive into conversations about music theory, ear training, and music technology with members of the U-Theory staff and thought leaders from the world of music education. Hi, I'm Greg Risto, founder of U-Theory and associate professor of conducting at the Oberlin Conservatory. I'm Leah Sheldon, head of teacher engagement for U-Theory. I'm David Newman, and I teach voice and music theory at James Madison University, and I write code and create content for you theory. A quick thanks to listeners for all your comments and episode suggestions. We love to read them. Send them our way by email at notes at utheory.com. And remember to like us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So it's episode 11, and it's our last episode of the first season. Uh, today, we're going to look back at uh, some of the highlights from our, uh, our first 10 episodes. Uh, we're going to chit-chat a bit and we'll share a preview of some of the things that we're working on for U-Theory. David, Leah, how are you guys doing? Good. Great. Leah, I think you know this because you saw it on Facebook, but uh, David and I had this delightful experience this weekend where um, I was conducting a concert at Oberlin and a big uh, alumni and community performance of the Mozart Requiem. And about five minutes before the show started, I walked out into the lobby, and who do I see but David Newman there. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know he was coming? No, I I knew he was driving through, because David, you were at a conference, right? Right. So he was driving through from Virginia to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and we'd seen each other when David was on the way there, because he has to drive right by Oberlin. But I didn't know David was going to stop in on the way back. And anyway, so I was like, hey, want to jump in and sing? And, and I did. I didn't, I didn't know you were going to have a concert on the way back. And when I saw that I was going to arrive near Oberlin around 1.30, I thought either it would be shameful for me not to go and, and sit down and take a break from driving to, uh, to attend <laughs> a performance of Mozart Requiem. But instead, I got to sing it, which was great fun. So, and I don't know if you know, but you're actually standing basically right behind my dad, who said he was just delighted to have your voice (laughs) behind him. (laughs) Ah, I did not make the connection. And for our listeners who don't realize, it's not very often that the three or even two of us are together in person (laughs) frequently. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, we're in we're in three different states. So this is very exciting. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Anyway, David, thanks for jumping in. That was a that was. (laughs) <laughs> well, was it was great. my pleasure, and and yeah, it really was a joy, and uh, what a great thing to be a part of, and uh, yes, as anyone who uh, saw my Facebook post knows that uh, I also think it's cool because my great great grandfather was the pastor of the other congregational church in in town, where the Oberlin Conservatory now stands. <laughs> yeah, so that so that was second. Yeah, for anyone who knows Oberlin. Uh, Oberlin history, that was second church. Yeah. And that's my office is like right on top of where the sanctuary was. That's very cool. Anyway, it was a cool family connection thing for me. So David, you're just, you're just back from a a cool conference. You want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, I, um, this was the, the 2022 pedagogy into practice conference. I think we were supposed to do it in 
20, we, the last one was in 2019. And then the, it had been canceled uh, due to COVID or, or altered due to COVID. So this was our first time back uh, together. And it's a great organization and a great conference at which we are really looking at how to be better theory teachers. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are so many presentations, and it's such an incredibly supportive community as well. So I really love that. Uh, it doesn't feel like many other academic conferences. It, it feels like everyone is there to support each other in, in, in being better teachers. And all of the talks tend to be on just things that we can do in the classroom to be better teachers. So I'm, I'm actually hoping that we can get some of those people on our podcast and, and let them share their talks more widely with our audience. Yeah. And some of them we've already had on our podcast. Uh, you, you mentioned that you saw Betsy Marvin there. I did. I got to have lunch with Betsy twice. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and uh, Peter Schubert and Steve Lates and, and um, Jenny Snodgrass. I, I hope we can get any or all of them on. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, you know, I was as as I was getting ready for this episode, I was going back and uh, listening to our previous episodes of the season. We, <laughs> it's we've only been doing this what since uh, January, and wow, we've talked mm-hmm. to some really really cool people. Um, Leah, David, what are what are some of your favorite moments? Well, I think that I I did the same as Greg. I listened back. I've listened all season long and several times on some of the episodes and I've got like two major themes that kind of stuck out to me if I could kind of go in that direction yeah um and the first being since we just mentioned Betsy Marvin um I'll talk about the importance of using systems Mm. whether it's a solfege system or a rhythm system and not just from her episode but from multiple episodes um I guess I just what stuck out to me was that students learn in so many different ways. And we know that. But hearing it back really makes you think about it and um, have different learning experiences early on that influence the type of learner that they become later. So having not just one system, like a rhythm system or a solfege system, but having two systems is so beneficial. Uh, This helps for sight singing. So when we talked about choral sight singing with Denise Eaton and uh, sight reading, we talked about contest sight reading with Dr. Andrew Mockamer. Um, And then for students who learn with perfect pitch, how sometimes one system can be confusing, you know, fixed or movable dough might be confusing versus fixed dough and switching to numbers instead. So as a teacher, having a system for teaching your students, but then having two systems to get at all the different learners that are in front of you. Yeah, totally. Mm. Right. And of course, with 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 pitch solfege, then we're typically talking about like the system that names the notes, whether that's letters or fixed O. And we're talking about a system that names function where something is in the scale. And that's typically our scale degrees or movable dough. And then, yeah, I hadn't thought about it, but yes, totally. That's a great connection to when we were talking about rhythm systems and we were talking about systems that are kind of analytical, that, that label the various subdivisions of the beat or uh, possibly the, where the beats are in the measure. 
and uh, mnemonic systems, systems where we give kind of fun names to to rhythms, whether that's lemon yellow or uh, watermelon or, you know, whatever kinds of things. Yeah. Nice. It's a great theme. Yeah. And there was a, I don't know if I'm jumping in on you, uh, but the, one of the other big themes was how to make, uh, how to be, how we can make all of these lessons engaging mm -hmm. with the students and, and, uh, uh, Jed Derryberry talking about the value of play and, um, this was, there was a, there was a presentation at the conference I was just at about gamifying the oral skills classroom, um, or maybe it was music theory. I don't, I'm not sure whether it was specific to oral skills, but, um, and, uh, of course all the Dalcro's games that we played together, Greg, uh, you know, I love them and I just, uh, I want to use them as much as I can. Um, I want that kind of spirit in my classroom. So I, I hope that, um, I hope we were able to share that with other people in a way that they also felt like they wanted to, uh, incorporate that spirit. That was, that was such a fun episode for, for me to record with you, David, the, the Dalcro's games episode. Um, and, you know, I think also related to that, our, our episode on your music theory and ear training songs, right? Like what, talk about playful spirit and, and bringing that kind of joy into the classroom. Those are just so wonderful. Well, I'm working on more, so there we go. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Funny enough, that was yeah, my I, other theme from the season. Uh, it was the importance of play and teaching, and specifically those three episodes stood out to me. And I, I think especially in the wake of COVID, too, uh, we're really living through some collective trauma, and, and I mm -hmm. think we need to have reasons for students to be engaged with us so that they have a sense of, of uh, that, that, that learning doesn't, isn't some tedious thing that they have to buckle down and apply to, but that they can, uh, I think if we make it enjoyable, then they will come more joyously and maybe more fully. Totally. Yeah. And I would maybe add one more into that. Um, the part of the episode with Megan Long um, where we talked about trends in theory pedagogy. Mm -hmm. And as someone who's not in that world all the time, or at least as much as, as Greg and David are, it was really interesting to hear from Megan talk about how she's adapting um, teaching. to. So, for example, she talked about analyzing music and um, broadening the, the tools that we would need to analyze music beyond just harmonic analysis. That was, that was really interesting to me. Yeah. David, were those themes echoed at the, uh, the pedagogy and practice conference and in terms of broadening approaches to analysis of music beyond just say Roman numerals, Schenkerian style analysis. Were they included? <laughs> Well, Philip Ewell gave the keynote uh, address at the end of the conference, so so yes, and and mm -hmm. yes, you saw that throughout the. Um, there was a lot of presentations about sort of decolonizing or recentering various pedagogies. There's a there's a grad student I'd love to to bring on here um, uh, who who talked about using rap to teach rhythm, mm -hmm. and. Uh, and um, that was a really 
That was a a thought echoed through several different presentations. And one of the things that was neat, uh, um, a common thread through them was putting up words so that even students who didn't know notation could align things with where certain certain words were happening and talk about what was happening in the music at those words. And um, there was a lot of talk about ways to... uh, talk about musical things without having to use notation mm-hmm. or at least using some kinds of proto notation, which is another theme that we've uh, at least been wanting to talk about. Yeah. I think those, those hit really a lot of my, my favorites. I, I you know, listening back, there were uh, things I was just, um, that I came away with as sort of uh, gems of knowledge. I, I think about like Denise Eaton's advice that when you're, when you're learning to teach, solfege or ear training, find a mentor who's good at it and ask them how they do it. Um, <clears throat> and, and, you know, this, this coming from someone who has written a bunch of books on, on <laughs> teaching it, that, that she's right. So much of that is about seeing someone else do it live and trying out what they do with your own students and seeing how it goes. Um, this thing about our chat with Betsy Marvin and, you know, I, I thought I knew so much about what we know about perfect pitch, but <laughs> it turns out there's a ton I didn't know. And there's so much that we, that I thought we knew that in fact, we, we don't know, right? I mean, it was sort of the gospel for uh, about a decade that you couldn't acquire perfect pitch after about age six. And, I, and, and Betsy really blew my mind when she said, well, actually there may be some research or there's some research recently that suggests that in fact maybe it is possible to uh to acquire perfect pitch later um yeah really just just fascinating stuff so um i i feel really lucky that we get the chance to ask these brilliant people questions uh and and hear what they have to say yeah great so shall we uh shall we change gears and maybe talk a little bit about what we have planned for you theory coming up definitely sure I was excited uh, today when when to open up my uh, computer and see that Solfege <laughs> Sally is now available on U Theory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in our in our experiment section. Yeah, uh, and, uh, David, you want to tell us a bit about Solfege Sally? Yeah, I, I mean it's something that um, well that I had been thinking about for years of wanting to create a, a game like Simon, except with all of the. Uh, diatonic solfege notes and then just uh, be able to practice working memory and uh, identification of those diatonic uh, notes in the scale. Uh, And then uh, when we first talked, uh, it turned out you had been thinking about the same thing. So that was exciting. And um, I was just glad to see it finally come to fruition. And I think it's kind of fun. It's fun. It's (laughs) totally fun. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and a friend of mine, a friend of mine posted on Facebook, I got 305. What's your oh, top no. score? Right? Ah. Just, yeah. yeah, I know. I have not gotten the 305. I'm like, go Maddie. Well, it, uh, of course, the score is cumulative. You know, it adds up uh, as far as you got uh, every time you hit a correct button. A correct so it's note, not yeah. that the melody was 305 notes long, but um, but still, that's that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. I can't quite do the math backwards to figure out how long that melody would have been, but it'd be It involves factorials, and 
Yeah, yeah. It's a little more complex than factorials because there's the addition of one on each. Oh, I guess it is just factorials. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't... Um, it... it uh, and what I forgot was that you can choose your level that you start at uh, in the if you click the settings button. Um, oh, but it's not clearly I, yeah. a settings button, but you, it definitely <laughs> if you go on Jedi Master or whatever is the, <laughs> the, the, the highest level, um, then then you can get some big leaps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I will. I'll have to try that version of it. Yeah, we'll, we, we should make that more clearly a button before we, uh, we graduated out of the experiments section. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a, there's a few, the, the, the layout of that is, is in need of some repair as well, but yeah. oh well. Yeah. And I, you know, I think, um, it's fun though, to, to share a little bit, some of the things that we're working on in an incomplete format, just so that, uh, just so that, you know, people can and to see get it. feedback. Yeah. Um, so I had someone, for example, ask today, could you, could you do major and minor pentatonic scales? And I thought, yeah, probably with a few lines of code. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and I had a friend, uh, text me, is you theory perpetuating the terrible lie that the fifth degree of the scale is called so and not soul? <laughs> oh, <laughs> In a very, oh dear. Course, joking well. way. <laughs> <laughs> we can probably change that one too with one letter of code. <laughs> <laughs> one letter of code. So, you know, um, it, it's probably not obvious to most users of U-Theory, but we have shipped over 120,000 lines of new code this year. Uh, complete backend and frontend rewrite. And, you know, at this point, you can't see that much of anything has changed because, because really, almost none of the functionality has changed. But what we've done is we, we have um, gotten the backend framework in a place to where it has become much easier for us to now create new uh, new ways of structuring and storing data uh, and the front end to a framework that makes it much easier to interact with that data. And those are two kind of key uh, key building blocks for allowing us to, to build bigger features. And so now, uh, as we come into summer, we're, uh, we're turning our attention to some, frankly, some big changes in U-theory. We're internally calling it U-Theory 2.0, although we want to be clear that uh, your your existing classes and settings, all those are going to migrate just fine. And if you like U-Theory as it is, fear not, you don't have to change. Um, but uh, yeah, but uh, some of the things that are coming that uh, are things we've been, that, that uh, teachers in particular have been asking us for for a long time. Uh, so to start with, we're adding the ability for teachers to create practice assignments and to create mastery assignments. Um, Leah, you want to talk about that a little bit? Um, sure. So on the, I think the biggest change here is that teachers have a greater customization. So for example, if you want to create a practice assignment that has a set number of questions, um, or even a set amount of time, a minimum amount of time for students to practice, you can, you can configure that when you create the assignment. You'll also be able to uh, customize the topics a little bit further um, in terms of, for example, say an exercise in key signatures, being able to specify which key signatures are included. You'll continue to be able to set due dates and you'll also be able to set 
an available date. So you can create the assignments in advance and they'll become available to the students on the date that you choose. And you can um, assign practice or mastery assignments to just specific groups of students versus just an entire class. Or even individual students, if you want, within a class. Yes. Yeah. Um, and along the lines of that, as, as we add these new kinds of assignments, in addition to the existing lesson and checkpoint assignments and skill mastery assignments, we're going to be consolidating content into a Learn tab. The Learn tab is going to become the central location for students to find uh, what they should be working on. And, and that'll include lessons, checkpoints, custom tests, practice and mastery assignments, uh, and so that you as a teacher can arrange that sequentially uh, so students don't have to go, okay, wait, now it's time to take a test. Oh, where is that? Oh, that's on the test tab versus, oh, wait, what, where am I supposed to go for this, this skill practice? Uh, so yeah, so we're bringing that all together into one place to make it easy to find and easy to sequence. Um, and then related to that, we're going to roll out a new curriculum. Um, I've started calling this the the U theory extended curriculum, uh, and thinking of the one that exists presently as the U theory accelerated curriculum. So you know when when we started building U theory, the idea was how can we quickly get students who are thinking about doing a music degree ready for college level music theory and ear training, and so the the curriculum as it exists right now is designed to be done in a pretty intense semester of work. Uh, but that doesn't fit the needs of a lot of our users, especially uh, at the high school and middle school levels, where you know uh, where teachers work with students uh, for multiple years. Similarly, in private lesson studios, and their goal is not to to cram all this knowledge in, but they'd like to be able to pace it out and and build fluency on that. So the curriculum that we're building is designed exactly for that. Um, and from the beginning, it'll start with uh, the option to configure uh, the clef that a student or, or clefs that a student is learning in. So whether their primary clef is treble clef or bass clef or viola clef, alto clef, or uh, or grand staff for a pianist, and the lessons and skills practice and mastery assignments and checkpoints will all and videos will all adjust to that so that uh, the student's work uh, early on is uh, exclusively in that clef until eventually we start introducing other clefs as well. Uh, the new curriculum is, is going to be one that integrates rhythm, ear training, and written music theory concepts all together into uh, one single learning sequence. So that the things that, that you're learning in, um, it, as you're learning, for instance, to uh, write intervals, you're also learning to hear intervals. As you're learning to write scales, you're learning to hear your way around scales in stepwise ways. Um, as you're learning to write chords, you're learning to hear different qualities of chords. Uh, and it'll be a, what we call a spiral curriculum. So that is to say that, you know, when you learn, you learn the basics of a concept early on, but we're going to keep coming back to it. We're going to keep reviewing that concept in later assignments and, and gradually increasing the, the level of difficulty with it. Um, as David sort of uh, previewed with Soulfish Sally, <laughs> it's going to be a gamified curriculum. It's going to feel um, a lot more uh, like uh, like a Duolingo, right? Complete with with badges and confetti and 
uh, and literal games and, and uh, all of that. So, <clears throat> and I, I think finally the big thing about it is going to be much more configurable that as a teacher, uh, teachers will be able to create their own lessons, assignments, tests, uh, or to edit the existing ones, to rearrange them. Uh, we recognize that teachers know better than a computer ever can what their students do and don't know. So we want to, uh, to give them all the tools that, that, uh, that you need to, uh, to give your students what they need. So yeah, that was a lot of talking. Did, what, did, I, did I miss anything? <laughs> I don't think so. I just want to highlight again, the importance of two things that, that Greg said based on the requests that we've gotten from teachers. So, um, he mentioned arranging in sequential order. So this means that you can change the order of the the lessons um, teachers have asked, you know, is it possible to make this lesson appear before this one? And now it is just with a simple click and drag, you'll be able to reorder the lessons. And also that the existing U theory is not going away or going anywhere um, for the teachers who are using U theory as is and love it. And we know that there are a lot of you. Um, this does not mean that you have to change what you're doing. You'll still be able to continue to teach as you have. Uh, and effectively for, you know, what, what will happen is for existing classes, um, the lessons tab will turn into the learn tab and will look very much like the lessons tab looks for your current classes. Uh, but you'll have the option then at that point, if you want to also add additional assignments, mastery or practice assignments and tests to that as well. Could we maybe talk just a little bit about the difference between practice and mastery assignments? Yes, absolutely. Great idea. So effectively, practice assignments, um, The obviously a practice assignment, a goal of a practice assignment is to increase a student's mastery of skills. Uh, but we're distinguishing between practice and mastery assignments in that a practice assignment will be a, an assignment that has a specific number of questions and kinds of questions on it, or a specific time limit for those kinds of questions. Whereas a mastery assignment is an assignment where U theory will uh, generate questions based on a set of skills that you select for that mastery assignment. So for instance, you might create a mastery assignment uh, for the skills of um, intervals between notes with no accidentals on them, white note intervals, right? And then uh, that would, that would uh, provide questions and, and train students until they reached uh, a certain level of mastery on all of the possible questions from that area. And so as we're doing this, one of the things that's, that's going to change uh, from the teacher perspective is uh, currently under classes and choose skills, you have a bunch of, of check boxes for sort of the sub skills. Uh, and what will happen for each of those skills is instead you're going to get a, a more robust uh, configuration panel. So that let's say we're talking about uh, the skill of, of triads in, in pitch and harmony. So that's writing triads, identifying triads, etc. Uh, that, that skills panel is now going to give you options for things like um, whether you want to allow triads in uh, various inversions, what qualities of triads you want to allow, um, how many accidentals and what kinds of accidentals you want to allow within those triads, 
Or if you want to filter and say, I only want to allow triads within keys, say up to uh, two flats or two sharps, you'll be able to do things like that. So we're, we're going to be providing uh, lots of ways to configure the kind of practice uh, that students get when you, when you configure either practice assignments or mastery assignments. Similarly, the ability to configure what clefs are included. Uh, and, you know, you'll have the option of choosing a student's primary clef, secondary clef, um, or both of those. And, and also, you know, any of the, uh, the seven clefs, treble clef, bass clef, alto clef, tenor clef, soprano clef, mezzo-soprano clef, baritone clef. Uh, did I miss one? I must have. No, I think so. Anyway, there's that, right? So, uh, yeah, if you want, if you want your poor students <laughs> to have to drill on mezzo-soprano clef, you can absolutely give them second line C clef oh. and make them do everything in second line C clef. But I love C clefs. <laughs> they tell you exactly where C is. It's so useful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it, although we don't usually have to read mezzo-soprano clef, no. unless you're a conductor, in which case, if you put it over an A transposing instrument, like say in the Mozart clarinet concerto, it comes out in concert pitch. And similarly, we don't usually have to read baritone clef, you know, again, unless you're a conductor and you put it over a G transposing instrument, like alto clef in Holst's The Planets, and out it comes in concert pitch. Hmm. So, uh, but in any case, uh, practice versus mastery assignments. A mastery assignment is one that the student just continues working on uh, until they reach a certain level, level of mastery. Whereas a practice assignment is one that has a specified time or number of questions cut off to it. So it's a lot more like a traditional homework assignment. So, yeah. And even with all these new configurations and types of assignments, U-Theory will still do the question generation for you and will still do all of the grading. So we are not adding any work <laughs> to the teacher's plates. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. And we think also that this, this new curriculum is going to take a lot of work off of teacher's plates. Um, some of the, mm -hmm. some of the, as it were, the power users of U-Theory have uh, kind of created their own curricula that bounce around to the different parts of U-Theory to make it work. And have then, you know, either in um, their learning management system or even in like Google Sheets for individual students, have then listed out all of those things to help students find where to go. Uh, we really think this is just going to make it a lot easier for a student logging into U-Theory to go, okay, here I am. And oh, look, there's the very next thing mm -hmm. I need to do because it'll basically appear as one one long kind of list. So with that, we, we have a, some, so we're, we're hoping to get the, what we're thinking of is like the first roughly year or 12-ish units of the extended curriculum out around August 1st. Uh, and we have some stretch goals with that, uh, including rolling out uh, sight singing elements in ear training, uh, which is really exciting. We've been working for a long time on um, algorithms to do pitch detection in a way that works for singing, which has more vibrato, which has changing vowels, which has consonants, and uh, and think we're pretty close on that. Uh, David's got a great game that he's been working on called Pitchy Fish, uh, where you... Um, tell us about Pitchy Fish, David. You, it's, it's a little bit like Flappy Bird, except that instead of uh, hitting a button, you, you uh, control the, the height of the 
fish in the water with with your voice so you sing a higher pitch and the fish goes up and then you sing a lower pitch and the fish goes down and um the this uh, idiom i think will a make it fun but b just give so much feedback to students especially ones that uh, may have more trouble than others matching pitch or getting the pitch in their head to be the pitch that's coming out of their mouth um, <clears throat> and to know whether they're on target or not. And we can extend it to actual sight reading exercises uh, easily, but but this is a great uh, sort of training ground, ground that I think like most good games uh, feels fun as you're learning to do it. Yeah, and I think, you know, any of us who've tried to um, help shy singers gain confidence with their voice know that finding ways to do that 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 are fun uh it, it, it's it's critical it's it's you know um people are understandably very self-conscious as you know as as a singer uh it, it we're, we're we always remain a bit self-conscious about our voice it is an instrument that is literally connected to us um and yeah so you know whether you're working with student singers or uh, student instrumentalists, helping them to, to find their voice is huge and raises so much awareness of, of pitch and uh, intonation and all of those wonderful things. Yeah, uh, Pitchy Fish, of course, we can extend it to, you know, uh, to sight singing particular things, also to exercises of intonation, of, of really <laughs> fine tuning with things. So... Yeah, all of which depends on a good pitch detection algorithm, and boy, you can see how hard that is by how not good so many of the products <laughs> out there are. It's true. It's true. But we've been working hard, and I say we, and mostly you have been working really hard on this problem and coming up with great solutions. But we've tried so many things mm -hmm. to yeah. get the computer to accurately recognize what someone's actually doing. Yeah, and I don't want to give away too much of what we're doing, but uh, only to say that we are using a combination of uh, traditional algorithm, algorithmic methods for detecting pitch, um, also machine learning. I'm pretty happy with where that's headed. Cool. Uh, I don't know. What else, what else should we say? I don't know. Can we give another like call, call for feedback? You know, yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, I I recently had, speaking of comments and suggestions, I, I got a comment and suggestion from my in-house critic, uh, my wife, who <laughs> said, not as a criticism, who said, you know, you should do an episode where you answer questions from your listeners, and I thought, well, that's a little bit what we already do, but we don't, uh, it, we don't say, so-and-so said... I have this question and I answered it. Um, we could, we could, if, you know, if people send us enough questions, we can do a Q and A. Ask me anything. Mm -hmm. Of course, ask me anything can spiral away from music theory very easily. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, ask me anything about music theory. <laughs> You're going to get song requests. <laughs> I am, I am down for song requests. So one of the things that I'm super excited about as we're talking about like gamifying the curriculum is that, you know, we're working to include, as we mentioned, literally these games, 
but also to uh, to start including some fun music theory and ear training learning songs. <laughs> David, do you want to preview that a little well, bit for I, us? I did write, uh, I mean, I wrote a couple songs on the way up to uh, the theory conference and I need to get them recorded. But one of them, I'm, I, I just almost want to write out just the melody in notation so that people can play it for themselves because it's just about how to find C on the piano. Mm. And uh, I mean, maybe if you can't find C on the piano, then this is going to be problematic to play, but it's black notes. Or I should start on the right key. Black notes on pianos ha come in twos and threes. Check out these ebonies. To the left of every pair, you'll find the C's. That'll get you tickle in the ivories. <laughs> nice. For those of us who have low shots. Yeah. <laughs> we can do it up here. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, if you if uh, if someone s decides that they want to sit down and play it on the piano, then then they're going to be doing exactly what they uh, what those words say, and they'll go, yeah. oh wow, she want to find the C's. Oh look at that, that's a C. How useful. <laughs> um, nice. I don't know. That I was pleased with that, and I've I've uh, in, in, envisaged a nice ragtime accompaniment for it, but I haven't actually written it out yet. <laughs> Great. And uh, where the where the half steps are, is that? Do you want a preview? Sure. <laughs> from from sev to one and back again. This is where a half step lives. And from three to four and back again This is where a half step lives In a major scale The other steps are whole steps So let's celebrate Where the half steps live Where the half steps live and let them bring us home. Yes. Ooh. Oh, I love it. Yeah, David, if that's done before uh, in, in the next like three weeks, I am totally using that with my uh, interlocking students this summer. Okay. As we dive into writing scales. Then it will be done in the next There's three a weeks. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I think it probably um, won't be done while I'm in Illinois, but then as soon as I get back, um, mm -hmm. you're off to sing some Bach again. I am. I'm going to go sing Saint Matthew Passion um, mm. with Andrew McGill and the Illinois Bach Academy, and then, and then I have a week and a half break, and then I well break, <laughs> break from singing, and then I'll be in Carmel. Uh, and doing the St. John Passion with Andrew McGill. Oh, wow. And we're also, we, uh, this is, we're uh, at Carmel, we are uh, finishing up a search for the new director, uh, which means that we have all three final candidates coming in to direct different programs, uh, which is, 
they've each chosen these amazing programs and I can't wait to work with all of them. Mm. So we're going to do Brahms Requiem and Bach Easter Oratorio. It's There's so much great music happening this summer. I can't wait. Nice, nice. Excellent. Well, maybe this is a good place to, to wrap things up. Um, this has been so fun. I have to say, uh, you know, the... I think Leah, like for coming up with the crazy brilliant name for this podcast <laughs> and David for our delightful theme music and all the wonderful editing and everything else you do. It's just, yeah, it's been a ton of fun. And I, 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 I will miss our recording sessions over the summer, but I'm so looking forward to uh, our next season of, of notes from the staff together. Um, Yeah. As always, if you if uh, listeners, if you have any feedback, send it to us, notes at utheory.com. Notes from the Staff is produced by utheory.com. Utheory is the most advanced online learning platform for music theory. With video lessons, individualized practice, and proficiency testing, Utheory has helped more than 100,000 students around the world master the fundamentals of music theory, rhythm, and ear training. Create your own free teacher account at utheory.com slash teach.